aliens and flying saucers. This is all an illusion. Please pardon the confusion. Hey, Hakuna Matata. That means no worries for the rest of your days. And welcome to the 13th episode of Two Riders Sling and Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the one-of-a-kind MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to whatever you think of I'm going to try to handle. And today's guest is Pulitzer Prize winner Rick Jervis of USA Today, who, as a guy based out of Texas, covers weather, bad weather, awful weather. As 99% of humanity runs away, he's charging the storm. So this week, appropriately, we'll talk about Hurricanes Harvey and Irma and how outlets go about their reporting. Rick is also USA Today's former Baghdad bureau chief who participated in more than 20 military embeds. He also covered the trial, conviction, and execution of Saddam Hussein. So today, our break from fun and games and sports. Let's get a bit serious here on Two Riders Sling and Yang. I didn't mention this in the intro, but you and I actually met back in the summer of 1993 when um, we interned together at the Nashville, Tennessean. We lived in the the non-air-conditioned dorms of Tennessee State University. Uh, You had a roommate who was a photographer from the Miami Herald who had a girlfriend nicknamed Rabbit. I had a... My roommate was a rapper from Oakland nicknamed Sexy Sweat. Mm -hmm. All, All the people involved were good. And... You are actually my savior at one of the lo- the lowest moments of my life, which is oh, yeah. a bar called Ace of Clubs, where, you know, I was just a lightweight from the University of Delaware, and I probably drank too much. And I remember, literally, I remember vividly dancing with a girl from the University of Michigan, about to make my move. And the next thing I know, I think it's the next morning, and you're telling me that I passed out in a bar. I can't remember that. I, I mean, I can't, I can't actually believe that you remember the name of the bar that is so impressive thank you the, the ace what was it the, the ace, ace of clubs ace? ace of clubs the a, the ace of clubs wow yeah all i remember about that night and and i basically knew at the time that you weren't a drinker that that like you didn't drink you almost never drank i guess yeah and i remember um kind of egging you on and making you have like a couple of cocktails. I think we had like two rum and cokes or something. And I was like, come on, just, just kind of have a sip. And you drank them. And I was like, I was off in the corner of the bar, either dancing with somebody or about to buy another drink. And I hear over the loudspeakers, uh, Rick Jervis, <laughs> Rick Jervis. If there's a Rick Jervis in here, please um, come, come to the front of the club. And the, the bouncer is there and you're pointing to you and you're on the floor. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did this happen? We went from 60 to zero in like, no, in like a couple of seconds. And you were just totally like out of it. And I just kind of, I, I kind of knew that it just kind of hit you the wrong way. And I was like, it felt terrible. Cause you know, I, I uh, basically was the one buying you the drinks. And I remember, I, I sort of remember telling the actual bouncer, I'm like, oh, he had some, he had some bad uh, shrimp earlier and he just, it just like, hit him wrong. <laughs> And I'm just picking you, kind of scooping you up, and I had to like drag you out of this club. And that was that was how I, that's how I first met Jeff Jeff Perlman. That, that was my that was my best Jeff Perlman moment of the summer. 
And that that began my uh, my battle with alcoholism. And I've been drinking, <laughs> <laughs> and you've continued ever since. Exactly. You've I've had many blackout nights. Many, many. Um, Don't believe that for a minute. Well, you know, it's funny when we. Um, I was I was telling my wife about this the other day, when I interned at the paper at the tennis. So I feel like every college journalism program uh, pumps out a few quote unquote stars, not stars, but guys who definitely want to go into the field and they. They love journalism, and maybe they're a little ahead of the game because they read newspapers and they study. And I remember getting to the Tennessean, and here's this guy, Rick Jervis, and he has an, uh, his clip folder. I think you had either a clip folder or you had the article hanging up, but you'd done a story um, where you, you uh, went undercover as a homeless guy. <laughs> yeah. And I remember being like, I'm being serious. I remember being like, damn, this guy is really good. Because usually at your college paper, you're, it's, almost like a, uh, it's almost like a good college football player going to an NFL training camp. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, there's a lot of talent here. And I think seeing you and your work was the first time I was like, whoa, I'm not as good as I think I am. There are a lot of good <clears throat> people out here, you know? Wow, I totally forgot about that article. Yeah, and, and, and those are the types of articles that you could write, like in college. They're kind of sort of experimental that you would never write later, right? No. Like, you, know, like you, you would never dress up as a homeless person and walk around downtown Miami um, and like write that article as, as like a first person. It's just something that I, I, I did. I did for the college because I was, I was just like, I was just really curious, you know, about, about the, the, just, just all the homeless people like in downtown Miami and who they right. were and what they did. Um, and that was one of the stories. Yeah. That just like, you know, I, I kind of showed that to like sort of recruiters and editors of like different newspapers and everybody liked it quite a bit even though it was this weird you know it was this weird story where i went undercover and wrote it in like first person um but um yeah i think i think i was walking around like at the tennessee with this with this sort of portfolio of like a couple of my articles and that was actually one of them and i, I kind of let you uh look at it uh like look 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 through it and and um, I remember us having a sort of rivalry, like at the Tennessee, and like, yeah. like, like we definitely wanted to, to write a better story than than like the other guy constantly, and we're trying to constantly like, like sort of better ourselves. But you know, I think it think it like made us better, and I think it think it gave us like a really good internship that 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 summer. Oh yeah, that was a great summer. It's one of the best summers of my life, actually, and. Uh... I look back very far for like a lot of different reasons. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just the internship. Obviously, we had we had like a really great time outside of the newsroom too. Yeah, it was really good. And also, I think, um, you know, I I wonder if you feel this way. Actually, I, I do wonder how you feel about this. It's twenty. That's twenty four years ago, and you and I both. I'm sure we both had similar sort of goals. You work there. You intern. You graduate. You go into a big newspaper. Then you make it to a bigger newspaper. You become kind of a journalism star, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I wonder, have, has it lived up to the billing? Like for you, here we are 24 years removed. Is journalism what you've wanted it to be? You know, that's a really good question. And like every time that I think that it's not, it turns around and really surprises me and slings me in like another direction and shows me that it just really is like one of the best professions out there. So I, I think the answer to that question has to be, I mean, it has to be yes for me. Right. It has to be. Yes, because it has taken me to so many different places, showed me so many different things, showed me so many different corners of the world, places that that I would never go if I like wasn't in journalism. Um, 
it's allowed me to do things. It's allowed me to keep writing, you know, which is one of my uh, deepest, deepest loves in life. And it has, it has showed me this really colorful, interesting, like two and a half decade career that I, I just, I can't imagine a lot of other um, jobs, which, which would, which would like give me that, you know? So, um, I mean, it, it, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a perfect profession. There are ups and downs, just like everything else. And there are times that, especially recently when it's, when it's like going through some of its, um, it's, it's sort of like convulsions and like trying to reinvent itself and, you know, journalism in the sort of digital age is a whole nother animal. And there are days where, where you rethink it and you, you know, you, you kind of wonder if, if you're in the right profession, but just consistently it's, it's, it's like really showed me like so much good and, and so much adventure that it has to be a yes. Right. You could have spent the last 24 years like drilling teeth, you know, that doesn't sound as good. Yeah. Yeah. Counting papers, um, being an accountant or not, nothing against accountants. Right. Accountants are very valuable, but right. yeah. it's just, I, I could have been doing a lot of different things. Right. Um, so I'm fascinated by, you know, obviously this week, uh, last week, the week before the hurricanes have been in the news, you're based out of Austin. Uh, you are mm-hmm. among other among other tricks, sort of in your hat, is you you cover weather, you know, in that region. Like you are a guy who covers weather, Correct. and mm-hmm. I wonder. So, what is it to cover a hurricane? I mean, almost soup to nuts. Like here you are in Austin. We know Hurricane Harvey is coming. We know it's coming to Houston. How does it work for you? The thing about Harvey, Harvey really blindsided me and blindsided like a lot of people because, first of all, I haven't covered a major hurricane in quite some time, and that's. I think, I think in part because there there really haven't been major hurricanes, uh, you know, a, a lot of major hurricanes like hit the U.S. They're they're actually fairly fairly rare, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a, a cat three or four or five hurricanes like hit the U.S. So Harvey started off as a tropical uh, disturbance down in the Gulf. And I was monitoring it kind of because, you know, those 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 actually pop up all the time and they just kind of go away or they just kind of slide into Mexico as a tropical storm or a cat one and nothing comes out of it. And then it, it pops up in the, in the in the Gulf and I was monitoring it. And then when it became a tropical storm and started heading towards the Texas coast, that's like that's when we got interested in it. But I remember talking to my editor about it and we, we basically decided on thursday so it, it basically made landfall on um friday night and we decided thursday morning that that i should head down to corpus because it was a tropical storm at that point and it was um it might have been a category one hurricane already but um i drive down to corpus thinking that i'm covering a category one possibly category two storm which is you know which is nasty but it's not it's not a monster and it just intensified so quickly. Like over the course of a couple of hours, it went from a cat two to to a projected cat four making landfall. Like like over the course of the same day, which 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 you never see. So I was driving down to Corpus Christi from Austin. This is a, I don't know, like a like a three and a half hour drive. With just you know, I I had just packed like you know a couple extra t-shirts, um, my 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 sort of hiking shoes in case, you know, in case I had to go into, into sort of debris filled um, areas and my toiletries and not much else, you know, like a raincoat, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
thinking that this that this is going to be a minor storm, and I had no idea that it was gonna it was gonna evolve into this really monstrous storm. And so I made landfall as a category four. So, so basically, what I was trying to do was try to get down close enough to to where the eye was actually sort of projected to land, but but not too close. And I'm right in the middle of it and and getting all the really nasty eye wall stuff. Um, that's what like storm chasers do. And those guys are, are I mean, I have I have total sort of respect for all those guys who like go into the middle of the storm. But I, I try to get close enough so that I'm sort of positioned that I could go cover it safely, but not be right in the middle of it. Um, and so Corpus seemed like a pretty good spot. Although, you know, at that point, it was um, kind of projected to like go over Corpus too. It was kind of wiggling back and forth between Rockport, which is 30 miles north, and, and Corpus Christi. Um, so basically what I try to do is try to go down to Corpus. I was right on the coast. Um, you try to find a very sturdy building. <laughs> you know, like right. you want to find something that hopefully, which was built relatively recently, and it's up to code or something that is just that you know it's kind of concrete poured and, and and looks like 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 it could withstand certain certain winds. And I found that in the Holiday Inn, right right in downtown Corpus Christi, it looked it looked big enough. Um, they gave me a room with a view to the to to the actual bay there, which I, I wasn't crazy about at first, but later it, it actually it actually proved pretty good because I could like monitor the actual storm coming in. Um, and so you just you try to get as close as you can. You basically interview as many people like as you can as the as like the storm approaches, and then it's kind of a race against time. Like you you try to get as much as you can, and when the winds pick up, you basically have to know when to like uh, go indoors and 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 take shelter and kind of hunker down, and then let the and then let the sort of hurricane pass over you. And um, once it passes, then the sort of trick is to like, try to get out to some of the impacted areas just as, just as fast as you can, but as safely as you can. So, you, so like, you don't want to do it like while there's still Category 1 wind outside. You want to do it when it kind of dies down and it's, and it's uh, fairly safe to like, do it. Is it scary? This one was. For sure this one was. This one was one of the more uh, frightening frightening stories that I've actually covered in, in, in quite a long time. It was scary. And, and, you know, again, part of it is that I'm not used to covering major hurricanes. You know, this is not something I've covered a few in the past. So I'm going to, I'm going to plane flying overhead. Right. But, um, I covered a couple of hurricanes when I was back in New Orleans. Um, I covered, uh, Isaac, which like came Gustav, um, I, I kind of missed us and, and went to like Houston, but, um, and, and back when I was at the Miami Herald, I covered, I covered a couple of storms, but, um, but this one was about as close as I've ever been to landfall of a major hurricane. You know, Harvey was a, was a category. I'm pretty sure I have to think back. I'm pretty sure it was a category four when it made landfall. Um, it might've been a strong three, but it was, it was like right around there. And it was, and we were on the south side of the storm, so we were getting maybe category two gusts, like category one, uh, category two gusts. So we were on the weaker side of the storm, and it still felt like the world was ending outside. I mean, it was like just gusts pounding my window. There was like, it, it, it creates these like strange popping noises, like right outside your window, like yeah. loud bangs. And just having it pass over you was like kind of frightening. I just thought, 
you know, I hope a window doesn't burst. And if it does, I have to go downstairs and find another room. Um, I was pretty sure that, that, that my building was actually secure enough that it wasn't just going to like implode or the roof is going to fly off, but it is, it is scary. And, you know, the scarier part is like afterwards, you know, um, Saturday morning, we meet me and a couple of colleagues, um, got in our cars and like drove to some of the really impacted areas like Fulton and Rockport and Rockport just got demolished, just flattened. And, and we get there right around dusk. I mean, I'm sorry, dawn. We get there just, so we basically left at night and we get there just as the sun rising and we got the first glimpse of all this really bad destruction and people just coming out of their shelters and homes in shock. They're in total shock, you know, and you're just dealing with these folks who are in shock um, trying to get their stories down, but just trying to help them too as much as possible. And it's it's, it's a really weird place, like be to be so close to people who have like who have gone through such a traumatic experience. You know, like you're witnessing trauma firsthand, and it's it's really. I mean, that part's also like frightening. Just kind of witnessing and talking to these people about what about about what they've also been through. Some of these people like came out of motels was just which which like fell on top of them right and it and it crawled out of rubble and it's just it's just pretty amazing to like hear to hear some of those stories let me ask you this um do you feel like because i ask myself this a lot in journalism over the years a million times i'm sure you have too when you're interviewing someone who just lost everything or is just seeing that their house has been destroyed um, someone who's going through trauma, through shock. Do you ask yourself, is this what I'm doing right? Am I doing the right thing by doing this? Am I here? Am I approaching this rightly? Is this even moral what I'm doing? Is getting the story more important than letting them grieve? Do you know, all the sort of things that kind of must be there at, the, at that moment. I mean, these are things that I ask myself, Jeff, all the time, obviously, of course. And like, and like basically what, what you try to do is try to approach it as sensitively as possible. I think that I'm, I'm fortunate that I've had a long kind of career in this and I've done this quite a bit, you know, so I've, I've actually spoken to people who have, who like, who are just emerging from some of the worst moments in, in, their lives whether it's you know they've they've had a loved one murdered or they've come out of a uh tornado or they've coming out of something like this and yeah i'm 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 constantly balancing you know try to be sensitive to 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 their situation with you know try to do your job and and try to report to the world what's 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 like really happening and the thing that i found over and over again is that, and I'm 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 pretty constantly surprised by this. Like I I never I never truly expect people to like talk to me, and I'm I'm always surprised by how much how often people want to talk to me. Like it's almost therapeutic for them sometimes, right. you know. And sometimes they just start talking and they just can't stop and they want to. It just it's part of their process too to like unload it all and unpack it all and just kind of tell you about it. And they and they start talking about these horrific circumstances that they've just been through, right? And and sometimes they like end up thanking you, and they end up hugging you. Sometimes, you know, I feel sometimes. And you know, with this with this last one, especially out of Rockport, when 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 you see some of these people who have just been through this, um, and some of the firefighters too. Like I, I, I talked to like a group of firefighters from Rockport who had a 
who basically had to evacuate out of their station because uh, because it was it was like breaking apart on them and and they had to run to uh, this elementary school down the road and they were in shock they were and these are like these burly big firefighters who have gone through who are, like who have gone through this stuff and who have it's their job to save people and and they they, they um, actually did save a lot of people that night but they were like you know like they had the shivers and they were in shock and they just couldn't believe what like like what just happened but i remember talking to a couple of folks thinking sometimes i kind of feel you know i think i'm a I think i'm a little too sensitive to like do this sometimes like i feel like like it's impacting me too much sometimes too like i'm talking to these folks and i just feel like you know like some of them just kind of needed to be hugged you know like they were shivering they were dry heaving some of them because it was just a shock just kind of wearing on their bodies i saw that a lot several people were just like they were talking to me and they'd say excuse me and they would just start dry heaving because they were just in this state of shock still and um yeah i mean it, it definitely it definitely impacts me too i, I feel i kind of feel like i'm going through it with them you know in some in some sort of weird way like like i'm experiencing them like i'm experiencing this with them do you will um, you hug will you hug someone you know like is that that I mean, it's obviously yeah, a fair I have. game. Yeah, I have. If it's if it's something that that you know that that they that they sort of initiate and that and that they feel comfortable with, yeah, I, I definitely will. And you know, I've had I've had uh, people do that. There's a couple of times this time that I felt like hugging somebody because they needed a hug, but I didn't because I because I felt like it kind of crossed a line and. You know, like there was one woman, I'll never forget her. She was at one of these shelters and she was just shivering. She was shivering from, from the shock and she was shivering from um, from just going through what she had been in. She had a horrific story. Like she actually, the sort of motel she was staying on just kind of collapsed around her and her boyfriend. And they had to crawl out of this rubble and run in the middle of this, you know, Cat 4 storm that they, they had to run to the shelter. But she was shivering, like 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 she was like she was so visibly affected by this, and she would walk up to her boyfriend and like lean in, and like all she wanted was somebody to put her arm around her, and the and the boyfriend wouldn't, you know, the boyfriend would just be like, well, just go sit over there if you want. He, he was he was he was sort of dealing with it in his own way, I guess. Right. And like wouldn't put an arm around her, and I felt like just hugging this woman and just just kind of telling her all right stop shaking it's gonna be okay but you know i didn't you know right. partly because her boyfriend was there partly because it just it, it it does it does you know cross a sort of journalistic line you try to be like an impartial sort of observer to all of it you know as much as you can do you just walk up to people like you see someone you want to talk to and it's in a, a high stress or a high trauma situation is it as simple as you walk up and introduce yourself is there a way you approach specifically it's it's really about as simple as that. I, I walk up. I always I always sort of like introduce myself first. I tell them like who I am and and who I work for, and then I'm here to like to like uh, tell the story about this um, incident. And I was wondering if I could ask them a couple of really quick questions about it. And um, man, like like most of them, I'd say like eighty five percent like usually say yes, you know, and they're just. Um, Granted, they're in shock, but, um, you know, a lot of them want to tell the story, too. You know, right. they, they, they kind of want it out there. 
Right. And like in the long run, it's it's you know it's definitely beneficial because the the more people know about what's what's actually happening down there, the better it is. The more sort of resources start to show up down there. So like in the back of the mind, I do I do I do feel like it's like it's serving a purpose. I, I think that I like like my thinking is that I. I serve our readers first, right? Because they, cause they like want to know and, and, and sort of need to know about this. But I also serve the sort of community that I'm covering. Because if I write enough about it, you know, resources start to start to show up there. Right. Interesting. You did a um, you did a Facebook Live video during the or session um, during the hurricane, and mm-hmm. obviously that was something we were not thinking about in 1993. Uh, Correct. <laughs> you know, to, we went to we we became journalists just to write, and I wonder how you, how do you feel about sort of the integration of social media in reporting? It's been an evolution, you know. Like like when I first started to integrate it, I I sort of did it grudgingly because I, I I've I I really did come up as a sort of pure journalist, um, just you know, report and write. That's all I had to do. And if you wanted to take photos, you know, you you basically filled out a a photo request form and somebody in the sort of photo department did that. Um, and grudgingly I had to, I had to more and more like post post my articles on, on Facebook and Twitter and more and more I had to post things, just updates. But now recently, especially after like these events, you know, I, I kind of realized that the phone is like where we live these days, right? The yeah. phone is where we is where we is where we check up on people. The phone is where we read is where we read our articles, and people are 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 reading a lot of my stories through their phones and, and through social media sites. So it's kind of where, and it was interesting because I, I did I, I like covered Harvey and I posted a lot of stuff and I was constantly posting stuff to my Facebook and Twitter feed. It's encouraged at our at our newspaper, obviously, but it's something that I've just come to like do almost like second nature now. Um, but then Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Irma, excuse me, hit 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 Florida yesterday, and um, today and yesterday, and I'm I'm from South Florida, I'm from Miami, and so, and I wasn't sent to that, but I I was like here in Austin, and for Irma, like, was a consumer, right? I was I was a news uh, consumer, and I was reading every article that I could get my hands on. You know, I mean, I was just like absorbing every single piece of information that like came out of there. I had my brother down there. I had my family down there, but I also found myself like really social media was where it was, where like I was getting a lot of the best information, you know? And so like as a consumer, like I could see how people consume news, consume information through social media sites. And it's these, these people who like put themselves way deep into the path of the storm um, down there that I was able to get that. And those guys live on social media. It's not, it's not like websites that I'm, that I'm going to. Right. So now, yes. So, so now we've actually become a sort of multimedia, um, journalists, right? So we're like, so for, so like for Harvey, I was, I was, um, down there and every chance I got, I would, um, post an update to like Twitter or something that I saw, like an observation. I would snap photos with, with my iPhone and post that to like Twitter as well. I do Facebook live things and like, and I put that on Facebook 
And then also, you know, I would um, talk to folks and like interview them and gather enough material to like later, like at my hotel, kind of sit down when I had a little bit of time and either write up a story or just send them feeds. And so the two things that I do during something like that during a, a sort of disaster is to send feeds cons- um, constantly to, to to our news desk back at headquarters by the center of Washington, D.C., and somebody there, like in the newsroom, pulls it all together in mine and gets and gets and gets stuff from the weather guy, who, like who who like works there in the headquarters, and pulls together like a, a sort of comprehensive story. Right. So I'm constantly sending feeds to them, and I'm also gathering stuff like uh, for myself. And if I see an interesting enough angle or just an interesting enough profile, I kind of write it up as a separate story. So you're you're doing a lot of these different things that. Like, like, like all at the same time. I remember when I was covering uh, baseball at Sports Illustrated and a Newsday reporter showed up for the first time with a, uh, like a camera and the paper was asking him to do some recording or some, uh, some, some photography and some video. And I was like, to hell with that. I'm never Mm -hmm. doing that. No way. What? That's not journalism. Now, now it's like, click, click, Uh, click. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean. That's exactly how I felt too. You know, first time I, I, I saw I saw people taking their, like their own pictures and their video. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never doing that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just a writer. Click. I'm never doing that. Click. And, and now, you know, it's now. I mean, now it's like it's it's at least fifty percent of my job, if not like sixty percent, to like just try to get up. But 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 now I I, I sort of enjoy it, right? Because mm-hmm. I. I basically realize that you know that that your true audience is like they're on your phone it's 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 like it's like on these social media sites give you a quick example like you know i i do i do like stories around here and i'll i'll do like a facebook live um from some event that's happening from some story that i'm working on and i may get like 50 100 shares like 200 shares is like really good Mm -hmm. one of the ones that i did it, it was like one of the earlier Facebook lives that I did out of Corpus Christi got 35,000 shares. Wow. So like, you know, like, in, in, so, so people are, 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 are really hungry for like that type of stuff and they share it and that's how to get them like into our website too, which is, which obviously is like the ultimate goal. Right. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of more and more. I'm increasingly enjoying the uh, sort of relationship that I have with my followers on, on Facebook and Twitter, and the the sort of nuts and bolts of like putting of putting information up there. Yeah, I feel like if you could get some maybe sexy sweat rap videos on there as well. Oh, just to forget share about with, it. I did, I'm just it's saying, like hundred thousand shares right there. Yeah, it's all over. You um, That's a million shares. <laughs> we'd be blown up. Um, <laughs> you are one of your interesting tasks in your career is uh, two thousand five, two thousand seven. You were you were in Baghdad. Were you in Baghdad the entire time? So yeah, I, I was the I was the Baghdad bureau chief for USA Today um, from oh um, five to oh seven. So a little bit over two years, like two years and two months or something. Um. Hey Jeff, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, just want to make sure you're there. Yeah, and so I, and so the 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 sort of deal there when I was in Baghdad wasn't it wasn't sort of continuous, right? Because back then this is like right this is right like that's the sort of beginning of the of the Iraq conflict, and 
nobody stayed there sort of continuously. It was just too much, mm-hmm. like like there was too much going on. It was it was like way too stressful. So the the deal with the the deal was that that I would work in country for six weeks and then they would give me uh, three weeks off. So six on, three off. Six on, three off. Right. And I and I did that throughout the course of like uh, two about about two years. So do you feel like do you feel like um, are you more in the camp of every reporter should have the experience of reporting from a sort of war zone or you have to be nut job crazy in hindsight to do that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it was such a great experience for like me personally that, that, I mean, if, if you had the opportunity and if there was a war going on, you know, um, and you were, and, and you were like at all curious or interested in, in what was happening there, I would say absolutely go for it, you know, and, and if you have a newspaper backing you, I think I think that's 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 sort of key. I mean, I was lucky enough to like have sort of USA Today. Um, I was a, I was like a full time staffer for sort of USA Today, and I had the, I had the sort of resources and the support of like of a major of a major sort of newspaper behind me. I wouldn't recommend it. You know, I met I met like so many people out there who were freelancers out there, and I, I just I just feel like freelancing in in like sort of war zones are just so difficult because you just don't have the resources, Man. and it's and it's like hard to stay safe. Everybody, most of the people that I knew who like got in trouble out there, whether it was being kidnapped or, or you know, God forbid, or unfortunately killed, were were usually. Um, freelancers, you know, who just didn't have, you know, enough enough money to hire like like the right amount of guards or cars and so forth. But um, um, it's such a great experience, and I was just fascinated by it all. You know, like the 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 sort of scary part was definitely scary, and there were times that I wished there were there were like definitely times out there that I thought, okay, this was a really bad idea. I don't want to be a Baghdad. A Wait, Baghdad, give an example. Uh, Rick, what would, be, what would be an example of that? Um, so, 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 so like the real threat out there was, all right, here, here's a, here's, here's, here's like a great example. So I, I, I uh, did like a lot of embeds out there. Right. And so, and so like you did these, these sort of military embeds where you would embed with a military unit. And this is, I think this is when I was still with the Chicago Tribune because I, I was with the Chicago Tribune first. The Tribune sent me out there for a, a temporary assignment and, and in like two th- in like fall of '04, and that's when I first went to like Baghdad. And then later, I left the Tribune, joined sort of USA Today. Mm-hmm. But when but, but when the Tribune sent me out there, I, I did an embed in um, uh, south of Baghdad. Um, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was either. Latifia, which was really bad, or um, or like Escandaria, but it was like it was uh, sort of right around there. And I did an embed with a National Guard unit that had just recently arrived, and the National Guard units were different from full-time sort of military personnel because they were not full-time military. They were National Guards guys who just you know, th- like three weeks prior were lawyers and students and like professors and like, you know, re- like, like sort of regular people who, who, who um, just got called in and got sent to Iraq. And these guys had just, had just arrived in Iraq and they just didn't know what they were doing. And they were, and so we got lost. So, so I, I like embedded with them and, and like we went out like on a sort of patrol, a big, a big, a big convoy of us. And one of the worst parts of Iraq during one of the worst times 
and we got lost and somebody got and one of the cars got stuck and meanwhile like the insurgents knew we were there and started tossing mortars at us whoa and like you could see like the mortars just getting closer and closer and these guys were lost they had a radio in to like figure out like how to get back to to base and i remember thinking i want to get killed out here because of incompetence not like not because of the insurgency but but because of incompetency and and I, and and that was definitely one of the times where, where 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 I basically thought to myself, "Why are you out here? This is such a bad idea. Like you should not be out here. Like I wanted nothing to do with it anymore." Man. But of course, later, you know, then then you go out with 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 like a really competent unit, and and um and and it's a very successful mission, and you get a lot of really good stuff, and you're able to tell the story, you know, a lot safer, and. And it changes your mind again, and you think, "Well, this is the greatest job." You know, right. if you could, if you could, if you could like do this safely, it's a, it's an awesome job. Right. You um, it yeah. reminds me of a, uh, reminds me of running a marathon, and at mile thirteen, you're like, "I'm never doing this again." At mile exactly. eighteen, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> you finish, you have your soup. When's the next? One? <laughs> when can I do the next one? That's an excellent analogy. That's exactly how it is, actually. Because right. there were times that I was like, I, I, I'm. I, I am just not doing this anymore. I'm not like going back to that place. That place is insane. And then you're like, oh yeah, I think I am going to do this again. Because it was just fascinating. You know, you had this sort of front, this front row seat of this incredible dramatic time in like, in like U.S. history. And like you were able to, to be a witness to all of it. You know, I actually attended, um, Saddam Hussein's trial and you know I got to see him from like six feet away and it was just this kind of surreal moment that you're in this courtroom with this guy who's being tried on like war crimes and um and it was just it's just a fascinating part of the world too you know got to see a lot of um a lot of Iraq obviously but also like a lot of Lebanon and Jordan and um this is a fascinating part of the world I have a uh, I have a theory but I feel like you would know better than I do because you've covered much more of the world than I have by far. Um, I generally think that the vast majority of people, like if you went to North Korea right now, the vast majority of people in North Korea just want to go about their days, eat their food, take care of their kids. You know, the vast majority of people in Iraq just want to go about their day. Like we could, people could actually get along, but we kind of screw it up. Or is that overly simplistic? Well, no, I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think that's absolutely spot on, and I've I've seen that everywhere. You know, it's 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 really unfortunate that it's always you know a very small sort of percentage of the, of the larger population that that does like all like all these atrocities, right? right. Who either um, commit these atrocities or are are ruling a country wrongly. But it's those guys that obviously get, you know, a lot of the coverage. And so people on the other side of the world see what's happening in that, in that, in that, in that country. And they see the small population doing this and they automatically assume, well, everybody's doing it in that country, right? right. Because it's on TV. And I can tell you that the vast majority of like Iraqis out there, they, you know, they basically want the same exact things we want. You know, they want peace. They want a little bit of money to like travel. They want their kids to go to decent schools. They want, you know, clean air and water. And they just they just kind of want to be left alone. And they were really, you know, the Iraqis that I met were just, were 
were like pretty amazing people. Even even some of the ones who like completely um, disagreed with the with the U.S. invasion, the ones who were completely against it, who may even sided had like like sided with with the actual insurgency. Like I would meet them, I like go to their house, and they couldn't help but like sort of like invite me in and offer me tea and make me lunch. And then tell me, you know, that, that they completely disagree with everything that I actually stood for. <laughs> but, 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 but they were so hospitable. Like, they were so overtly sort of hospitable. And, um, and yeah, I think, I, think, I think we absolutely could all, could, 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 could all sort of get along if, if we just came to understand that more, I guess. Right. Um, let me throw a final one at you here. We, um, I hate to keep harking back, but we... You know, we did enter journalism in a much simpler time, and it was a no-brainer. Like, going into journalism for me, going into journalism for you, it was a no-brainer. We knew if you worked hard, you're going to get a job somewhere. And I don't, re- I don't 100% know what to tell journalism students now. Um, it doesn't seem like a guarantee. You know, it seems <laughs> a lot harder. Yeah. Should, I don't know, you're some 18-year-old kid or you're some 21-year-old kid. Is it still worth it? Is it still viable? Yeah, that's a that's like a really tough one, right? Because because uh, the the sort of journalism that they'll be getting into today is so different from the journalism that we got into. It's like unrecognizable, right? It's like I, I think it's very different. Um, but you know, I, I actually still really firmly believe that 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 the basic tenets are are still the same, right? Like they like like things like learning how to analyze getting information and broadcasting it out there, whether it's through, you know, social media sites or, or news site or newspaper or TV, like those basic skills are like still very valued today. I think right. uh, regardless of, of, of what the actual means and that those basic skills are going to continue to be valued. People are going to want to, um, People are always going to want, you know, news. They're they're always going to want to find a way to like read about what's happening in the world, in some in some understandable format. And so, I mean, if I had to talk to uh, to an eighteen year old student, thankfully I haven't recently, but <laughs> if I had to talk to an eighteen year old journalism student, I would tell them that you know that that learn the basics and researching, being being a good writer. And 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 those type of basic skills are still going to be valued, regardless of what the actual medium is. So learn those skills, and then figure out which of the mediums you you want to get into. Maybe it is a, a, a sort of multimedia reporter. Maybe it is somebody who wants to start a blog. Maybe it's somebody who just wants to go into a more sort of traditional news thing. But I think that there's always going to be an appetite for news for news gathering and then that's and then that's and then that's always going to be like a, a, a sort of valued skill yeah very well said and can i uh, can i announce officially since we're both on here that we are collaborating on sexy sweat the biography oh yeah we are yeah please announce that now all we need is for sexy sweat to like call us and contact us yeah I'm so sure. sexy sweat if you're out there sweat give us a ring call us sweat holler yeah <laughs> Uh, Rick, seriously, thank you so much for uh, 
it's like old home week. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Enjoyed it. I want to thank Rick Jervis, today's guest, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. One can follow Rick on Twitter at Mr. R. Jervis, and you can go to usatoday.com to read all this stuff. One can listen to Two Writers Sling and Yang on both iTunes and on bumpers.fm. Reviews are always appreciated. The music, again, is by the great MC Whiteow. Thanks for joining me, and remember, keep writing. <laughs>